Good morning. I am uh, happy and excited to be here with you this morning as we come together on the Lord's Day to worship together, to sing songs of praise, to pray together, to partake of the Lord's Supper, and to open the Bible and read from the scriptures and study a portion of his word. I want to thank the congregation for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Uh, for our visitors, I am not the reg regular evangelist. That's Ethan, who is leading singing. Um, but I've been given this opportunity to speak today, and I'm thankful for it. You know, time really flies. I can't believe that we've already been here for six months. Um, for me, in my training program and my family here, living and worshiping with you here at the Venice Church of Christ. One of my favorite things about worshiping here is that Ethan and the brothers who have presented lessons really challenge us to think about some of the tough and challenging subject matters in the Bible and really forces us to think about these things and it's kind of the gray areas in the Bible as well as we try to grow in our faith. And so today I want us to address another one of these challenging topics. So my hope and prayer is that I'm able to clearly and eloquently present this topic. So we'll begin this morning in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, reading verses 10 through 17, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. For most of us, this is a very familiar passage, and probably most of us have heard lessons centering around these verses that discuss the various aspects of our armor. But for today, I want us to focus on why we put on that armor. As verse 11 states, it is so that we can withstand the wiles of the devil. But what are the wiles of the devil? The dictionary defines wiles as devious or cunning stratagems employed in manipulating or persuading someone to do what one wants. So the wiles of the devil are the strategies the devil uses to manipulate us into doing what he wants, which is for us to sin and ultimately be separated from God which we read in Isaiah 59, verse 2, that sin separates us from God. Why is it important to understand the devil's strategies? Well, there's a well-known idiom that says, the best defense is a good offense. So by understanding the devil's strategies, we can attack them to prevent ourselves from falling victim to them. So today I want to discuss one of the devil's most powerful wiles in our country today which is racism and prejudice. I understand that statement may make some uneasy or even skeptical. You may wonder why this would be the topic of my sermon or what qualifies me to even talk about it. 
I ask that you keep an open mind and heart as we discuss this further. I've witnessed and experienced firsthand how racism and prejudice divides people both in their secular and spiritual lives. And despite this major divide amongst people and Christians, I've never heard a lesson addressing this issue specifically. So I want to address this topic today in an effort to help us overcome this stumbling block. Before we begin, I want to define a few terms so that we all start off on the same page. So the first is prejudice. Prejudice is defined in the Merriam-Webster dictionary as an irrational attitude of hostility directed against an individual, a group, a race, or their supposed characteristics. When harmful actions are based on these prejudices, it leads to discrimination. Next, racism. Racism is an ideology of racial domination in which the presumed biological or cultural superiority of one or more racial groups is used to justify or prescribe the inferior treatment or social position of other racial groups. <coughs> Lastly, the term white privilege. Hayes and Chang define white privilege as the combination of exclusive standards and opinions that are supported by whites in a way that continually reinforces social distance between groups on the basis of power, access, advantage, majority status, control, choice, autonomy, authority, possessions, wealth, opportunity, materialistic acquisition, connection, access, preferential treatment, entitlement, and social standing. But racism and prejudice are more than just men in white hoods burning crosses, and white privilege is more than just an academic theorem. Racism creates a separate set of rules that people of color must live by, and white privilege allows white people to not know that these rules exist. And while the focus of today's lesson is not on discussing the intricacies of microaggressions or systemic racism, it's important to note that they exist and are more impactful to people of color than neo-Nazis. The United States of America was created partly on the foundation of white privilege and racism. At the time of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, slavery was being practiced and legal in all 13 colonies. The 1787 Constitutional Congress agreed upon the three-fifths compromise, counting black slaves as less than an entire purpose for House of Representation uh, purposes. Later, racism and slavery were major factors leading to the Civil War. Even after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, racism was still a major issue. The collapse of Reconstruction allowed for the Jim Crow era, which ushered in continued racial segregation which was upheld by the Supreme Court in the Plessy versus Ferguson decision in 1896. This continued through both world wars up until the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s. But even after the Civil Rights Act of 1964 outlawed discrimination and segregation, racism still persisted. It continued systemically and institutionally in redlining and bank loan discrimination it can be seen in disproportionate sentencing between blacks and whites in the criminal justice system. We see it in the disproportionate number of black and brown men harassed by stop and frisk laws or that end up killed by police. We see it in healthcare, in my industry, where studies have shown that when you control for all factors, including socioeconomic status, age, insurance status, that blacks are still less likely to be offered certain procedures like joint replacements. And we see it in our politics, as demonstrated in the past eight years and in this last election and the emergence of the alt-right movement. 
Racism and discrimination are woven into almost every thread of American society. So as Christians, we would be foolish to think that somehow the church is exempt and that these ideals cannot affect us, especially if we're not mindful and actively engaged in preventing it. The Bible gives us insight into how the devil operates. We see this from the beginning with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Adam and Eve are instructed, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. How did the devil manipulate Eve? He told her the exact opposite. In Genesis 3 and verse 4, we read, And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. One of the wiles or strategies of the devil is to get us to do the exact opposite of what God commands. And the devil uses racism and prejudice to achieve these same goals today. The Lord requires that we have unity in his church. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 1 through 16, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, we read, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ." As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Since God wants us to be united, the devil wants us to be divided. The devil uses racism as one of his methods to achieve that goal. From the passage we just read in Ephesians, we understand that we are to be united because we are in one body, each with unique talents that help us build up the body, to help each other achieve the unity of the faith, which results in us growing spiritually and being able to avoid deceitful scheming. Ultimately, the proper working of each part causes growth of the whole body. We see this part-body analogy repeated in the scriptures in Romans 12, verses 4 through 8, and again in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 
through 31. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 reads that there should be no division in the body, but that, but that the members should have the same care for one another. The importance of unity is emphasized time and again in the New Testament. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22 explains further why there should be no division in the church, especially amongst racial or ethnic lines. The text explains that there is no more separation between Jew and Gentile because as verse 13 and 14 read, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Continuing in verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. There should be unity in the church. The blood of Christ is what broke down the barrier between Jew and Gentile and eliminated all animosity. So through Christ, the barrier between Jew, Gentile, black, white, Latino, Asian, etc. should be eliminated, regardless of the societal forces that work to keep us divided. Unfortunately, this is often not the case. If you've traveled around the country and worshipped at other congregations, especially in the Midwest or in the South where I grew up, you'll notice that many churches are very segregated. You may come across the quote-unquote Black Church of Christ or the White Church of Christ in a town, and brothers and sisters, that ought not be the case. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. These divisions are a result of the wiles of the devil based on the historical constructs of our country that were allowed to seep into the church. On one side, there remains denial, ignorance, and an unwillingness to understand. And on the other side, there is anger, mistrust, and resentment. This division is the exact opposite of what God commands. We are to have unity in the body of Christ. And when we do not, because of the racist residue of the secular world around us, that has crept into the church, then we have succumbed to the wiles of the devil. And I believe this needs to be fixed. Here at the Venice Church of Christ, we are very fortunate to have a very diverse congregation. As such, you may feel that this lesson is not as applicable to us. I submit that even with a diverse congregation, racism and prejudice can still affect the individual Christians within the group. Let's discuss a few ways in which this can occur. Most of us are familiar with the Great Commission that we read about in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those verses read, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. We understand that we are subject to this command as well. But if race or racism or prejudice keeps you from sharing the gospel with another person, the devil has succeeded in manipulating you into doing the opposite of what God has commanded. I've always wondered how there are churches of Christ that are usually all or predominantly all white, especially in the South, in cities and towns with a diverse population. The question has to be asked, with whom are you sharing the gospel? 
I think at times relationships and conversations between races are avoided because we want to ignore having to talk about the difficult subject of racism. But if we let this divide us and keep us from getting to know people in order to share the gospel, the devil has gotten us to do the opposite of what God commands. There are brethren in some churches that expressed anger and contempt when they heard that there are congregations that present lessons in both English and Spanish. Those brethren felt that if Latino people were in our country, they should learn to speak English. And as such, they don't believe that the services should be presented in both English and Spanish. What a shameful and sad attitude. Recall the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Acts 2, verses 5 through 11 read, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language, to which we are born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya and Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. What was the miracle here? Was it that they all heard and understand the apostles speaking in Aramaic? Obviously not. The miracle was that they heard the mighty deeds of God in their own language. Why? Well, it's because the purpose was not for everyone to speak the same language, but rather for everyone to hear and submit to the one true God. From the Old Testament, we know that there was already a time when everyone spoke the same language, and that didn't work out so well. If we become upset or angry because of the language someone receives the gospel in, rather than happy and elated because they're hearing the word, we have succumbed to the wiles of the devil. Furthermore, as Ethan recently preached about, we're supposed to have relational unity amongst ourselves as brethren. We should be close so that we can be vulnerable with one another and be able to confess our sins to one another, as we read in James 5, verse 16. Personally, I've seen how ignorance, avoiding conversations, and an unwillingness to listen or learn can damage relationships between brothers in Christ. Social media has become a really large part of our daily lives. It helps us connect with one another, but it also provides a conduit for people to express how they really feel about things more freely and in ways that they might not have done in times past. There was a brother that I worshiped with and became Facebook friends with that made some comments regarding one of the recent shooting deaths of a black person that showed me that he had absolutely no understanding of the challenges that I or other people of color face in America. His comments weren't overtly racist, but they were closed-minded and uninformed. And furthermore, it seemed like he had no desire to be informed based on the back-and-forth responses he had with people in his comment section. This hurt me a lot, and it ended up hurting our relationship a lot. And our relationship has never really been the same since that time. And that's a tough thing to know and to accept. It's tough for me to know that 
the social constructs in our country and the divisions that it, it's caused have affected me spiritually and affected my relationship that I've had with the brother. So we know that racism is a wile of the devil, a scheme used to manipulate us into being divided and not sharing the gospel. But what can we do about it? Fortunately, God has given us the answer, and the answer is love. Following the passage describing unity as parts of a whole in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, talk about love. This is how we achieve that unity. The same is true in 1 Corinthians, following the verses on the importance of all the parts that make up the whole in chapter 12, chapter 13 discusses love. We can have confidence in this solution because as 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 assures us, love never fails. In the passage we read, Ephesians chapter 4, it again is determined that unity is achieved through love. Ephesians 4 verse 2 read, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Continuing in verse 15 and 16 we read, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We see this idea again in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15, it reads, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has complained against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So we see that love is the answer. But it's important to emphasize, though, that this is not a passive love. This is not saying, well, I love you and you love me, so we're just going to avoid the problems surrounding us and ignore the differences between us. Love is active and it leads to action. We see this expressed in the scriptures. In John 3.16, a very familiar passage, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And again in John 14 and verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not if you love me, just think it or say it. Love leads to action. We see this as it relates to our neighbors as well. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 37, we read of how a lawyer questioned Jesus regarding what the great commandment in the law was. Jesus responded in verses 37 and 39, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is the like. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, we see that, that the explanation is taken a step farther with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's read that together briefly. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. 
And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, and how does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own, bre- on his own beast and, bought, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. In this parable, the one that kept the commandment and loved his neighbor as themselves was the one that showed love with their actions. So action is needed. In the case of racism, the first step is acknowledging that it exists. I think part of the reason that the brother's Facebook post bothered me so much was because it showed that he did not see and seemed unwilling to understand how racism affected me. By denying that racism and racial constructs exist, he was denying a significant portion of my lived experiences. Even if for some reason you reject all the research and data and statistics and books and literature that affirm that racism and racial constructs exist, if you truly love me, why would you think that I'm lying or misguided about my life experiences? As Romans chapter 12 verse 16 says, do not be haughty in mind, Do not be wise in your own estimation. We need to have a heart of compassion and humility described in Colossians 3 and listen to each other in love. After acknowledging the problem, we must then work on understanding how it can affect our brothers and neighbors. This is hard because it may require you to challenge your ideals about society, your privilege, or institutions. This makes many people very uneasy. But if we are truly loving our neighbors as ourselves, and we know that it is what we must do. If there was a major issue that constantly impacted your life, you would want your close ones to understand. That is why working to understand is a critical part of loving your neighbor, because that understanding is what we would desire if we were in their position. How does one achieve understanding? It starts by opening your heart and mind and listening. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 reads, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The road towards understanding begins when we stop talking and start listening. Listen to another perspective, listen to another worldview, listen to someone else's experiences, listen to understand and not to respond, listen with a humble heart and be slow to anger. That is how we can grow in understanding. Again, these are hard things to do. 
but it's necessary because it allows us to grow in relational unity and breaks down barriers that can keep us from spreading the gospel. I must concede that the white brothers and sisters in the church that I'm closest with are the ones that have been willing to listen and have conversations with me about racism in my life experiences. Not because they understand everything about race or race theory or my experiences, but because they love me enough to try. On the other hand, Christians of colors must act with love as well. We need to be patient when our brethren, with our brethren who might not fully understand our experiences and try to explain and educate them with gentleness and love. We need to show forbearance to one another in love, as Ephesians 4 states. Talking about these issues will help us grow in relational unity and keeps the wilds of the devil from dividing us. I want to thank the congregation again for the opportunity to speak today. I want to thank you for your kind attention. While this is a very difficult topic to discuss, I think it's necessary for us to address so that we can work towards being better disciples of the Lord. If you are here today and need the prayers of the congregation or if you have yet to obey the gospel, confessing that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God, repenting of your sins and being baptized into the one body, you can make your needs or requests known at this time.